to know the day or the hour in which Jesus will come back and end and, and all things. And so, therefore, the third thing that we remember is not only is his coming going to be visible, unpredictable, but as such, then we must be ready for his coming. We must be ready. And so the readiness idea is going to be coming out even stronger here in Matthew chapter 25. We must be ready. We must have our hearts ready and looking and longing for Jesus to come back and to set everything right. And that's what we're looking for, we're waiting for, and we're ready for it. That, as Christians, we need to be ready. We need to have our eyes open. We need to be ready to see and ready to experience what we know is going to happen and that Jesus will come again. All things will be remade and judgment will come. And so we know that that is coming and so therefore it will be visible. We'll see it when it happens, but we won't know it's going to happen until it does. It's going to be unpredictable. And so therefore, as anything unpredictable, we always need to be ready. And what we've also seen then, if those three things are true, Jesus has also taught us that some people will be ready and some people, some people won't be. There will be some people that will be ready, that will be waiting for his coming, and then there will be others, even in the church, that won't be. People who are sitting uh, in chairs or pews around in churches that think they're part of the body of Christ that aren't really ready for his coming. And so there's going to be two groups of people, some who are ready and some who aren't ready. And that's going to continue today in Matthew 25 because all of these things are restated in Matthew 25, 1 through 13. All of these understanding, the things that we've already come to understand are going to be restated in a different way as we come to Matthew 25, 1 through 13. And as I said then, our main point today is going to be very simple and is that we must wisely prepare for Jesus' coming. Now, being ready and preparing are similar words, but today we really want to focus on what are we doing to prepare our hearts, to prepare ourselves for Jesus' coming. And uh, through Jesus' parable here in Matthew 25, we're going to see that there are uh, several characters that come out in this parable that we're going to talk about today and how they all play together. But at the end of the day, we're going to see that we must wisely prepare for Jesus' coming. As followers of Jesus, we must be wisely preparing. And that is what we're going to think about today as we look at Matthew 25, 1 through 13. Before we read the passage, uh, just let's talk about preparation for a few minutes. Now, some of you uh, in this congregation have been involved with the Boy Scouts at one time or another. I'm not here to endorse or not endorse the Boy Scouts. That's not my point. But one thing I do know about the Boy Scouts, even though I never was, is their motto. Uh, So all at once, anybody who knows it, what is the motto of the Boy Scouts of America? Be prepared. Exactly. So be prepared. And so I looked up where that came from and how it got started. And, and, and the, the, the guy who started the Boy Scouts, he wrote this. He says, okay, so be prepared is the motto. And what does it mean? So this is, I'm going to just quote you right from what he said. Be prepared, which means you are always in a state of readiness in mind and body to do your duty. To be prepared in mind by having disciplined yourself to be obedient to every order and also by having thought out beforehand any accident or situation that might occur so that you will know the right thing to do at the right moment and are willing to do it. Be prepared in body by making yourself strong and active and able to do the right thing at the right moment and do it. I love here, and obviously I'm not saying that this is any kind of inspired word here, but I love that the, the, the end of all, both of these statements you know the right thing to do at the right moment and are willing to do it. I mean, that is really, that's being prepared, right? It, it's being prepared for anything. Earlier on, it says, no matter what accident or situation, you've thought it out beforehand. You know it's coming, and so you're ready because you're prepared. That's the idea of a Boy Scout. You're always prepared, even for the unexpected. 
And so, uh, as we think about preparation, they're a great example. Boy Scouts are a great example of what it means to be prepared in this world. And so, how does that look as we think about how we'd be prepared for Jesus' coming? Well, we'll get to that in just a moment. But maybe for you, you're not a Boy Scout, or maybe you are, but uh, I, I'm wondering if you've ever had a situation and you've been caught unprepared. Where you've been caught unprepared, where you were not ready for something. You were not prepared for something, and so then you experienced some issues. I'm going to tell you uh, one of mine that uh, my wife is constantly um, trying to, uh, uh, I don't know what the word is, disciple me to, to not do this any longer. Uh, one for me is I like to play the game, if any of you have ever played it, gas roulette. So gas roulette is when you let your gas tank get all the way down to empty, uh, but you know that you have a certain amount of miles between the time that light comes on and when you actually have to get gas. And so what you do is you figure out how long can I go before I have to stop at a gas station. I know, and many of you are thinking, this guy is a total moron. And yes, at times, this has become a problem. Uh, I remember a few uh, stories in my life in which my, my gas roulette has caused problems. And usually, by the way, so I can save, you know, like 50 cents. So, like... <clears throat> We're coming back from a conference uh, a few years ago. It was the T4G conference, I think, in 2018. I had, uh, I had well, maybe you know Brendan Clancy was, was with me, uh, and uh, I had a, a couple other people with me. But we were, we were driving back from T4G. We were driving all night long. We were going to get back, and we are driving through Ohio as we're coming from Louisville, and we get through Pennsylvania, and gas prices in Pennsylvania are pretty expensive at this point. And I'm saying, I know what's coming. What's coming on 86 is Salamanca. And Salamanca, you know, it's the reservation. They have cheap gas. We're going to make it to get there. And I'm looking at my gas gauge, and I know that it's at like eighth of, an eighth of a tank, you know, in Erie. And I'm thinking, I'll definitely make it to Salamanca. Um, no, it uh, didn't happen. So we actually only get to Jamestown. The light comes on. Uh, we're actually on one side of Jamestown. The light comes on. And I'm still saying to, those, to the guys in the, in the car, like, guys, listen. I know Salamanca's coming. We're going to get there. And they're both like, I'm not sure this is going to happen. Right? I'm, I'm like, I already told you this is going to happen. We're going to get there. So yeah, we get, and the light stays on. We're to the point where the, has, have you ever been to the point where your light starts blinking? Okay, if that happens, you know there's a problem. So we're on the other side of Jamestown, and we're, okay, we're like, okay, we're not going to make it. Our, that's fine. We'll just have to stop at another gas station. I'll get like $5 just to get us to Salamanca. Wouldn't you know it, at like 3 in the morning, there are no gas stations open anywhere around Jamestown. So we stop at like four different exits, nothing. I am sure at this point. I, we are all praying, Jesus, would you just like, I, I, I don't know, like multiply the oil like you did at Hanukkah. Like we need gas here. Um, and thank the Lord, the end of this story is we finally found a gas station that was open and we were able to get gas just in the nick of time. But that could have been disastrous because I don't know what would have happened if we would have had to you know, probably call AAA at 3 in the morning and see how long that would take them to get to us. So uh, that was one story that I have. Uh, another story uh, of playing gas roulette was a time that I was actually driving from my home. Uh, I was Before our, we were here at this church, uh, the last church we were serving at, uh, I was trying to drive from my house to the church, which was only about a five-mile drive. But I had known for a while now that I was on empty. And I thought, though, there was, we were in a town that like, gas stations were a long way away, so you had to make a trip to get gas. So I was like, I'm going to wait until I have to. Uh, and I'm on the way back to the church one day, and my van just dies out completely. Completely dies. I'm thinking something uh, totally went down. I'm thinking, wait a minute. 
I know my light's been on. I bet you I ran out of gas. And so, indeed, I'm on the side of the road, no gas, in the middle of nowhere. I happened to call one of my deacons at the time, and I'm like, hey, I, I, didn't, I know... Uh, I don't know if you're at work right now or what, but I, I'm without gas. I'm on the side of the road. I'm between the church and, and your house. And he said, oh, no problem. I'll, I'll leave and I'll be right there. He got there within five minutes and he has a big gas can and he fills up my, my van. And I said, how'd you get here so fast? He's like, well, I always carry a gas can in my car and I was just down the road. And I thought, okay, now here's a difference between someone like me and someone like him. I was not prepared. I thought I was prepared. I thought I had enough gas in both these situations, but I didn't. And, and there was a problem. Now, this other guy, Bruce was his name. He knew what was going on. He always had a gas can in his car, so he would never have this problem. He was prepared. Probably was a Boy Scout at some point. He was prepared to have gas ready to go in the tank when it was needed. Now, I could keep telling you stories of gas roulette because I've played it way too many times. Um, uh, times where I, I, I've only run out once. I think that was the only one time. So I guess my record's pretty good, but it's only a matter of time before it really uh, comes to a problem. Uh, some of you will remember, if you were on our trip for charge, that there's been times, though, that I've been unprepared in other ways, <laughs> such as not having jumper cables with the church van who doesn't have a good battery. So, and then having to walk around Niagara Falls at 11 o'clock at night trying to find someone to jump the van. So there are lots of times that I could explain when I'm unprepared, but the feeling that you get when you find yourself caught unprepared is not good because it's not a good thing to be unprepared, right? I mean, even in those situations where it turned out for me, the, the feeling, the anxiety that would come because I'm waiting on getting to this gas station that may or, not be, may or, not, may be or may not be open is a problem. And so when we talk about preparation, and I talk about gas roulette specifically, because we're going to see some people in our story today that don't have enough fuel, all right? And so we're going to talk about them, we're going to talk about what that looks like, what that means, and we're going to make some conclusions at the end of our time together about what it means to be in, prepared for the coming of Jesus. And so let's read, this, let's read our story today in Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. And Jesus says this, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all the, they had all become drowsy and slept. But as midnight, at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will be not enough for us and for you, go, gather, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know, you know neither the day nor the hour. Again, a lot of the same things we've been talking about for weeks now are going to be coming out in this parable. So what we're going to do today is I'm going to break down the three primary characters of Jesus' parable. There's the bridegroom, there's the wise virgins, and there's the foolish virgins. And we're going to look at those three today. And so first of all, let's talk about the bridegroom. We see the bridegroom in this, 
in this parable come and and the bridegroom is is coming to claim his wife so let's what's going to happen here and and we need to understand this we need to explain some cultural things as we start right off is this was a common thing to happen in jewish wedding ritual uh, the, the common thing to happen would be the bridegroom would travel from his home where the, the marriage feast was going to be, the party was going to be. He would travel from his home across town, wherever his future bride was waiting. He would go to her house to collect her and also then young women to, account, to accompany them back to his home. They would light lamps at the, in the night when it was dark and it would be like a, a processional, a lit processional. Uh, and so when we read the word virgin here, we've got to be careful here in what we're trying to say about this. It's, this is, some people have said this is like a passage that could say that polygamy is okay. That's not what's going on here. What's going on is the bridegroom is going to collect his bride, and when he comes to collect his bride, other young women are going to come to join in the processional with them to go back to his home where the party would be had, where the marriage feast would happen. This was a, an honor for people to be chosen to do this, to be part of the processional that would escort the, the, the bridegroom and his bride back to his home for the wedding, the wedding feast. And so we've got to understand that cultural context here as we think about what's going on here. So what we see is that the bridegroom is coming to be escorted by the bridesmaids back to his home. So I use the word bridesmaids. That's actually a lot of times if you look at commentaries, they'll actually call these the ten bridesmaids, not the ten virgins. For that very reason, because there can be some confusion. These are young unmarried women that would accompany the bride and his wife, or the bridegroom and his wife, to their wedding feast. That's how this would work back then. We don't do stuff like that, but this is what they did. So they were kind of like bridesmaids, but even more. It was more special than even our bridesmaids of today. And in some ways, you could say they were actually maids that served the groom, not served the bride, which is a little weirder, weird according to our modern uh, traditions as well. But this is what's happening. So we see the bridegroom is coming, and he's coming so that he can be escorted back to his home for the party, uh, for, the, for the wedding feast, which was a huge thing. This was a huge cultural thing. The wedding feast was huge. If you were invited to the wedding feast, it meant you were, part in, you were in the inner circle, and it was going to be an amazing time. And so this is what's happening. So the bridegroom, though, on his way to do this, is delayed longer than the bridesmaids, ex- the bridesmaids expect. So he's delayed longer. Lots of reasons why this could have been happening. Uh, and remember, this is just Jesus telling a parable about what the people would understand. There are, I've read some places that there are times where the bridegroom will come to collect his future bride. And as he comes to collect her, the parents like, have to like, they almost like hide their, their, their daughter and like, keep him from her for a while. It's like a weird game. I don't know. Maybe that was happening. But whatever reason it is, I'm not really sure. But the bridegroom is taking longer to get to uh, where he needs to be. He's getting, it's taking him longer to come out to collect the processional to go back to his house than they thought he would be. So he's been delayed. Okay, so that's what we need to understand. He's coming to be escorted back to his home for the, for the feast. He's been delayed longer than the bridesmaids expect. And then we also need to understand what's happened, and I've already kind of said this, but he has invited the bridesmaids to join him in the wedding feast. This is an honor. They have been invited to join the wedding feast. And so all ten, keep this in mind, all ten of these young women, all ten of these bridesmaids have been invited to join the processional. They've been invited to go to the wedding feast. They were honored among 
other people. They were honored to go on this journey. They were honored to be invited to this uh, feast. So obviously, the bridegroom in this parable is compared to Jesus, right? So we understand Jesus many times is called the groom, and the church is his bride. And so we see here that, yes, Jesus is the bridegroom who is coming to collect his people, to be escorted back, and then that he's been delayed uh, longer than expected. I mean, that's true, right? It's been, he said when he left, I'm coming soon, and it's now been over 2,000 years, and we, our understanding of soon is, wow, he's really taking a long time. He's been delayed. Not a him. It's in perfect timing. But then we also see that we have all been, uh, so Jesus has invited his church to come and usher them into the eternal kingdom when he comes for them again. That as the bridesmaids, we're going to be heading to the wedding feast. We are going to be ushered into the kingdom of God as his people. We have been invited to come to the wedding feast, and he is the one doing the inviting. He is the one coming. He is the one who is delayed, but he is the one at the end who will bring us into uh, the kingdom. It's only through the bridegroom that you get into the kingdom, and that's the understanding. So Jesus is the, the bridegroom in this story. That that's the, the symbol that we're supposed to catch here. Now let's talk about the other two groups of people. Now you might say there's only one group. There's ten uh, young women. There's ten virgins. But there's actually five wise and five foolish. And so we're going to break those down. We're going to look at the five wise virgins first. The five wise virgins. What do we see happening in this story, in Jesus' parable, that would help us to understand what this is all about? Well, first of all, we see the wise virgins. They were prepared for the delay by having extra oil for their lamps. Okay, they were prepared. They had extra oil for their lamps. They were not taking anything for granted. They didn't know when the bridegroom, the bridesmaid, the, the groom, wow. They didn't know when the groom was coming, the bridegroom was coming. But they knew that he was coming at some point. And therefore, they were ready for whenever he would come, they had extra oil ready to go. Uh, again, this is good, just really drove me back to remembering that day when Bruce showed up with the can of ga- gas that's always in his car. Like he was always prepared because he had that gas ready to go if it was needed. That's where they're at. They have oil for their lamps. Uh, now these could be real lamps where they actually have oil lamps that they would carry. Or more likely, most people think these are actually more like torches. Where you'd have an oil-soaked rag around the end of a, of a, of a stick and then you'd use that to be a torch. Either way, you need the oil to continue for it to burn. Uh, either way, it doesn't really matter what they're using, if it's a lamp that they're carrying, a torch that they're holding up. Either way, they need oil, and they've brought extra oil for this processional. So they were prepared. And so what, because they were prepared, then we see that they were ready when the bridegroom came, and they went with him. Notice that these wise virgins fell asleep with the other five. All of them fell asleep because it got late. Uh, the, the, the story of this, the point of this parable is not uh, about, oh, everybody slept and they were all wrong. No, there was some sleep happening, but even when they were sleeping, they were ready to go. Because as soon as they're awoken by the call that the bridegroom is coming, the bridegroom is coming, when they hear that call, they are immediately up and ready and they're trimming their lamps. They're, they're getting their torches, their lamps ready to go. And so they're ready. They were able to light their torches immediately so that they could light the way of the procession. They didn't have any delay. They were ready. When the, groom, when the groom came, they were ready. They were ready with their oil, and they were ready to go. There was no delay here for them. That was the wise virgins. And then finally, they entered into the wedding feast with the bridegroom. After the processional, the party began in the bridegroom's home, and all those who came with him were able to come in. All of those who had their lamps lit 
and were able to go with the bridegroom and escort him to his home for the wedding feast. They were there, and they went in with him. So the, te- the five wise virgins, I believe it's pretty clear what this is, uh, what this is comparing to as Jesus is using this parable. And these five wise virgins are the true believers in Jesus. True believers in Jesus who are invested in serving the bridegroom. They're invested in serving Jesus, and they are actively prepared for him to come again. They are actively prepared. They are ready for Jesus to come. And that is the five wise virgins are those who are truly following Jesus, truly devoted to Jesus, that they are ready and willing to do what it takes in order to be with him. And that is what we see here with the five wise virgins. But then we also then, and actually this story really focuses in on the next group of people, which is the five foolish virgins. The five foolish virgins, what, we, what do we see them happening here? Well, first of all, let's just talk about the fact that they were unprepared for the delay and didn't have enough oil for their lamps. They were unprepared for the delay. They didn't have the extra oil. And so their oil, had, their oil supply had dried up. Really, if, as I said earlier, these, these five foolish bridesmaids, they were playing gas roulette. In the very worst way possible. They thought they had enough fuel. They thought they had enough oil. But the delay made it so that they didn't. And so they weren't prepared. They relied on the bare minimum. They relied on the bare minimum. They were lazy and unthoughtful. That's really what happens here. They were lazy. They did not collect the right oil. They were unthoughtful. They didn't have extra oil with them. And they were just relying on the very bare minimum. I'm just going to do whatever the bare minimum is so that I can go to this wedding feast. And this is not going to end well for them. They were invited to the party. Keep that in mind. And they were part of the wedding party. Not only were they invited to the party, but they were part of the processional. They were, they were bridesmaids. They were invited. They were honored to go. But yet they themselves were not really invested in serving the bridegroom. Whatever the reason is. Maybe it's because they're serving themselves. Or maybe it's just because they simply weren't thinking. But in any case, we see that they were not invested in the way they should be to serve the bridegroom. The way the five wise virgins were. So this would seem to compare, as many people would think. And again, some of these are uh, very educated guesses, you could say. But I, I believe that what Jesus is saying here is he's comparing these virgins uh, to those who are invited to the kingdom of Christ uh, and are in the church. So they know the promises of Jesus, but they are not truly invested in Jesus himself. So these would be what we'd call false converts or nominal Christians. The word nominal Christian means in name only. These are Christians who might come to church every week. They know the promises of Jesus. They know that they're invited. And yet, at the end of the day, for laziness or unthoughtfulness or whatever it might be, relying on just the very bare minimum, that if I just come to church and I'm a good enough person, if I say I believe in Jesus, uh, and I can say that in name, then I'm going to be okay. And as we've already seen through Matthew 24 and many other places, we need to be very careful of this, of thinking that just because we're part of the church and, and what we see does, doesn't mean that we are truly converts, that we are truly following Jesus. Because these ten virgins that were all together all seemed like they had the same thing going, but then there was a division. The five wise were prepared, the five unwise foolish weren't. But let's look at what else we can learn about the foolish virgins. For, so not only were they unprepared, but that meant they weren't ready. They weren't ready when the bridegroom came and they didn't go with him. Notice that. So they're not prepared, so they're not really ready. When the call comes out, the, bride's, the bridegroom is coming. 
Everyone wakes up, and the wise, the, the wise virgins have all the oil they need, and they light their lamps, and they're ready to go. But the foolish bridesmaids, they didn't have the oil, so they couldn't light their lamps. They weren't ready to go. They weren't ready to accompany the bridegroom to the feast. Really what happens here is they had waited too long. So they were desperately had to leave to go buy oil. So they weren't even there. They had to go leave to buy oil. And they weren't even there when the bridegroom ends up coming and taking the rest of the five on his processional into the wedding feast. Because they had waited too long, because they were unprepared, they weren't even there ready to go with him. Notice in this section here too, they try to get oil from others. Right? They, they, they ask the wise virgins, hey, can we have some of your oil? And the wise virgins say, no, we don't have enough. We need enough to get all the way to where we're going, and we don't have enough. And so, no, you can't have our oil. This is not, by the way, uh, uh, carrying a sharing, like, oh, man, these other five must be bad people because they didn't share. No, this is perfectly practical. Hey, if, I, if we give you our oil, we're going to be walking in the dark for the last half of the processional, which doesn't really work on the dark, crowded streets. So, uh, so they couldn't do that. So they were relying on other people. These five foolish virgins were relying on other people to give them oil. They didn't rely on them. They didn't rely on their own oil, but instead they were trying to get it from others. I want us to think about that as we think about maybe how that would apply to us today. This does seem to compare to those in the church who may rely on the faith of others to bring them into the kingdom. But at the end of the day, we are all responsible for how we respond to the gospel. So for those of us here, how would that apply to us? I think we could talk about children who think that just because they're coming to church, teenagers and children, that because their parents take them to church every week, that they're all set. Because, well, my parents believe in Jesus, and so I'm here, so must be things are okay for me too. That is not what the Bible says. The Bible says that you need to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ for yourself. That the fact that Jesus died, rose again, and is waiting for you, and is asking you to have faith in him, to trust in him, and turn away from living for yourself, and turn towards him, and trusting him with your life. That is the gospel, and you need to respond to that by saying yes to him. You can't get in to heaven, to the kingdom of God, because you are uh, in a good Christian family. You can't get into the kingdom of God because you're part of a good Christian church. Uh, you can't get into God, or get into the kingdom of God, simply because... Uh, you know people who are good people that are Christians even. We understand that in order to have a relationship with Jesus and to be in his kingdom, we need to respond to him ourselves. And that's one way that we can be prepared and ready. Ready to go when he comes back. And finally, they were not allowed into the wedding feast. That's the last thing we see about these foolish virgins. They were not allowed into the wedding feast with the bridegroom. So they were too late. So they go, they buy their oil, they get what they need, and then they, they're able to light their lamps, and the five of them go back all by themselves without the bridegroom, and not in the processional, but they come to the house anyway, because they obviously know where the, where the wedding feast, where the party is at. They knock on the door, we're here, we made it, let us in. And what we're told here in this passage is very clear. They come and say, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. I do not know you. And so they come to the door and they're ready to go in, but the bridegroom says, no, you may not enter. This seems to compare to those in the church who are living uh, sinful, selfish lives while banking on the fact that they will be able to get in at the last minute. This is not a true believer. 
I think this is fair. I think I've heard many people say, well, you know, I have time. I have time to get right with God. I'm going to live the life I want to live now, but I'll have some time. I've even heard people say so far, well, when I'm dying on my deathbed, uh, then, I can, then I can come to Jesus. These are not people who are truly believing. They're, they're hedging their bets in a lot of ways. They're too late, and Jesus isn't going to let them in. Now, I, I want to I, I say this. There, there was, we're talking about end time stuff. There was a time when I was a teenager that uh, I was really into the Left Behind series. Right? So a lot of you have read that, read the books, watched the movies. The movies weren't as good as the books. But anyway, you read the books, uh, and there was a time, because in the, in the books, so you know, this is written from a pre-tribulational rapture perspective, which I hope by the time you've been going through this time with Justin, you've seen that that's really not the only perspective that there can be had. But as they had this perspective in Left Behind, and all these Christians, or all these people who weren't Christians, who maybe even thought they were Christians, after the rapture happened, they were left, and then they knew. Oh, well, if all these Christians left, then, then oh, I need, I need to get right with God. And so they, they gave their life to Jesus. Uh, many of the main characters would do that. And I remember as a teenager thinking, actually being comforted by this, and thinking this. Well, those times that I have a little bit of doubt, like, am I really a believer in Jesus? Well, it's okay. It doesn't really matter. I mean, if I don't believe in him now, there's, the rapture will come, and then I'll know, and then I can believe in him. And I am, I'm kind of ashamed by that, but I mean, that's really what I thought. Like, I know, like, I believe I was really a believer at that time, but, you know, all of us have little moments of doubt, right? So when I would have those moments of doubt, I'd be like, oh, that's okay when Jesus raptures the church. If, if that's me, it's fine. I'll just, I'll just give my life to him then. I'll just make sure I truly believe in him then. And I think some of us have that mentality as we think about the end times a little bit. Like, when I start seeing all the signs happen, when I see an Antichrist, or when, when the rapture comes, or whatever you want to fill in that blank, well, then I can know it's time for me to get ready with Jesus, or get ready for him to come. It's time to get right with him. It's like saying, I'm going to wait until I'm on my deathbed. When I know I'm about to die, then I'll get right with Jesus. Well, first of all, we don't know, remember, everything is unexpected. We don't know when this is going to come. We don't have any guarantee. And even if, even if we know 100% sure, or you're 100% sure in your mind that there is a pre-tribulational rapture, that you'll have an opportunity afterwards to get saved, even if that is in your theology, the point is you don't know if you're going to live tomorrow. So if Jesus, even if Jesus came back and raptured his church two days from now, but you die tomorrow, you didn't get right with Jesus in time. So here's my, here's just my, I implore you, as these virgins came and thought, well, surely now we've done what we need to do and we're here, we should be let in. They waited too long, so don't delay. Don't delay getting right with Jesus by responding to the gospel. Don't say, I'll do it tomorrow. Don't say, I'll do it in a year. Don't say, I'll do it after I get married. Don't say, I'll do it after I have kids. Don't say, I'll do it when I'm, when I'm old. And, and don't say, I'm going to do it when I'm ready to die. But instead, respond to the gospel now, daily. Do it now. If you haven't already, and even if you have, continue to bathe yourself in the gospel every day. So let's just talk about some implications today that we can see from this story. We're already done kind of explaining what we see happening, and so let me just recap real quick. We've got the bridegroom who is Jesus, who is being escorted by his bridesmaids. He's delayed, and he's invited them to join him in the wedding feast. The five wise virgins, knowing that he was coming, they were prepared for even his delay. They were ready when he came, and they went with him, and they entered into the wedding feast. Five foolish virgins, however, were unprepared for the delay. They didn't have enough oil for their lamps. So so being so, they weren't ready when the bridegroom came, and they didn't go with him. Because they didn't go with him, we see that they were not allowed into the wedding feast with the bridegroom. 
And so let's think about some things today as implications of what we've talked about today. So what does it mean to be prepared? Well, I don't believe this passage itself gives us any concrete, like, this is what you have to do to be prepared. We're actually going to see more of that as we maybe continue through 25. But for now, this is just a reminder. It's a reminder of all the things Jesus has already said, that Jesus is coming. It's going to be visible, just like the bridegroom was announced. Jesus will be announced. It's going to be obvious and visible. It's going to be unpredictable. Unpredictable. Just like the virgins weren't ready because they were sleeping. They didn't know when the bridegroom was going to come. It's unpredictable. And then we must be ready. Again, the bridesmaids needed to be ready to join the processional. And some were and some weren't. And that's what Jesus has been teaching. And now he's illustrated it through this parable. But let's just take a few minutes, look at some other passages in Scripture, and we're going to see maybe what it might look like to be prepared. To be prepared for the coming of Jesus. And the first thing I want to draw on the idea of wise and foolish There were wise virgins and there were foolish virgins. Are you the wise or are you the foolish? It's a question we all need to ask. And I want to go to Matthew chapter 7, earlier in this book. Matthew chapter 7. We've already looked at this, so I, I don't remember who even preached on this passage, but I just want to read it and go back to it and talk about how this relates to what we've just read. Matthew 7, 21 through 27. Matthew 7, 21 through 27. Here's what it says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. For the one who does the will of my Father, uh, but, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been the foundation, it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. As Jesus is talking here back in Matthew 7, as he's finishing his Sermon on the Mount, Uh, As he's finishing this sermon, he says, there's a couple of hard things he says here. First of all, he says, there are some foolish people who will come to the end and he will say, I never knew you. There are foolish people that he never knew that will not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is a sober reminder in Matthew chapter 7. Let's not take anything for granted. These people that he says, I do not know you, they did a lot of good things. They even say they did it in his name. They are a part of the church, and yet he never knew them. When I say a part of the church, I'm not saying part of the true church of believers, but just part of the organization, if you will, of the church. And we see that there are some foolish people that he never knew. And we, then he goes on right after this and says, okay, well, what does that look like? Well, there's a foolish person and a foolish builder and a wise builder. The wise builder builds his foundation on what Jesus says. The wise man listens to Jesus, and the foolish one does not listen to Jesus. If we want to be prepared for his coming, listen to him. He is coming. Therefore, let's listen to what Jesus says. And how do we know what Jesus says? Well, it's through his word. We see his words, and if you have read, you know, those are there. But all of the Bible are the words of God, the words of Jesus. And so we listen to him. And part of listening is not just hearing, but part of listening is applying it. 
But again, at the end of the day, we need to understand that as we put these two little sections together, the ones who came and said, I never knew you, and then the wise and foolish builder, how that works out to, is very simple. Jesus wants people who will listen to him and follow him and, and really care and be invested, not just people who have a really good resume of good things that they have accomplished. It's not about what we do. It's not about trying to do everything the best we can, be the best person we can, even, and then even say, I do it because I'm a Christian. But it's about knowing and listening to Jesus, having a real relationship in which you listen to him, that you listen to what he says and you do what he asks. That is how we prepare by living wisely instead of living foolishly. The foolish man doesn't listen to what Jesus says and everything comes down. The same thing is true. That foolish person then will be told, I never knew you. As we think about this, I never knew you thing, we just talked about the same thing happening in our parable. And you might think that's kind of harsh that the bridegroom wouldn't let that the bridegroom wouldn't let the bridesmaids in. It's kind of harsh that Jesus would not let some people into the kingdom of heaven. Think about just the analogy going back to the bridesmaids. Like if you were getting married and you had a wedding party and you told them the the, the wedding's at two, and you get here and it's time for the wedding and they don't show up till five. Pretty sure you're going to be pretty upset with your wedding party, and. In, in a sense, you're going to be feeling like, I don't really know you, right? Because if, really if I knew you, if you really cared, then you would have been here. The point is, is that Jesus' judgments are always right, and he knows our hearts. Do we listen and love Jesus? Do we know him? Does he know us? Which we'll talk about in just a moment. Secondly, I just want to ask this question, then, are you living wisely or foolishly? But the second, are you prepared for Jesus' coming? Just a general question, are you prepared? And I want to go to Second Peter, and I know we've already seen this passage because uh, it's a very good passage when we talk about the end times. But Second Peter, Second uh, Peter tells us what pre- preparation for his coming might look like. Second Peter 3, 8 through 13. And this is in context. You can read the whole chapter if you wanted. Uh, but basically that people keep saying, where is Jesus' coming? Uh, nothing's changing. Where is he, when's he going to come? So then in verse 8, we get this from Peter. It says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed." Since all these things thus be dissolved, what sort of people ought you be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt away as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Second Peter here reminds us that everything is coming to an end, that the end is coming, that Jesus is coming. And he says, Don't think that he's slow. Because one day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is as a day. Okay, this is not like a formula to plug into every number in the Bible. What the understanding of this is very simple. That to God, who is outside of time, very, I mean, that's the truth. Like, as he's outside of time, for us, it's been over 2,000 years since Jesus left the earth. But really, if you want to think about it this way, really in God's timing, it's only been two days. Because we understand that what our feeling of time that God has taken too long, that's, we, can't, we can't judge God based on our timetable. 
Right, that's the point. So there's a thousand days is, or a thousand years is a day, and a day is a thousand years. The point is, is like we can't judge God's timetable because we have an assessment of time that might not be right. And so he's coming, and he's coming soon. But the feeling of delay that we have, that he says in Second Peter, like um, don't consider him slow. Don't the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. He's coming back. It feels slow. It feels like he's delayed. But there's a reason for it because he's bringing people to know him. All the people that are coming to know him, he he wants them to come to repentance, to turn to him before he comes again. Because when he comes again, there will be judgment. And that judgment will mean that the world's going to pass away. A new heavens, a new earth is going to be here. But all that's old is going to be burned up and dissolved. Everything is going to be exposed. Everything is going to be laid bare. When he comes, all will be laid bare and all will be exposed. So we need to not get caught off guard simply because Jesus has taken, taken so long to return. God has his reasons, as we already said, that more people will turn to him before he comes. And so as we wait, we can get very frustrated and, and we can not be ready any longer. We can stop being ready. We can be unprepared. Uh, we can not be prepared for how long it might take. And we need to understand that Jesus is going to come on his own timing. He will come when it is time and we wait then. And we are not caught off guard, but we wait and we watch and we see people coming to know Jesus and turning towards him as we wait. But since when he comes, all things will be laid bare and exposed, then he says... In that sense, then, we need to think about this. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you be? Well, we should be lives, people living lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening, waiting and looking forward to and just, and, and just excited and wanting to see Jesus come back and set everything right and recreate everything. So we live a life of holiness and godliness. And again, how does this happen? Well, it happens as we listen to Jesus. It happens... As we listen to his word and we follow it, we are set apart and we live to be more like him. I could give you a whole list of what that looks like. We don't have time this morning, but read the Bible. Okay? If you want to be holy and godly, read the Bible and do what it says. Finally, I want to ask this question to all of us today. And this is, a lot of times we'll ask the question this way, do you know God? But I actually want to ask the question this morning, are you known by God? Do you have a true relationship with God? Does he know you? There's a couple of passages in Scripture that we're going to go to this morning. First of all, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 3. This verse says this. pretty simple. It's pretty short. But it says, But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. It's very simple. God knows the people who love him. So the first question we ask is, Do we truly love him? Do we put his desires above our own? Are we willing to sacrifice are we willing to worship him? Are we willing to love him and not love ourselves? If you want to be prepared, start by reading his word, loving it, and loving him. Next in the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians says more about this. Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Galatians 4, verses 8 and 9. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those by nature that are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather, be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? So he's talking to Galatians who are trying to live out the law even though they've been saved by God through grace. But what he says here is very clear, that being known by God, by knowing God or being known by God, means that we turn away from idols and we turn away from the ways of the world. 
The ways of the world say you need to earn everything yourself. The ways of the world say you, you're your own God. The, the ways of this world say you will make the way that you want to make. But being known by God means we turn away from those idols and we turn to Jesus. We turn away from the idols of money. We turn away from the idols of, uh, of comfort. We run away from the idols of uh, anything. I, I could give you a whole list. I'm not going to give you a whole list. There's home, so many things that we put before God. Most often, really, what it comes down to is we indeed do put ourselves before Him. We put our own wants, desires, needs, all of those things. We put them before what God wants and desires and needs. And so as we think about that, we need to understand that Galatians 4, 8, and 9 says very simply, if you are to be known by God, if you have a real relationship with God, you will turn your back on idols. Don't let anything take the relationship away from you that you can have with Jesus. Because nothing in this world will ever compare. As we think about the song, we actually just sang, you are not a God created by human hands. Like, he is beyond anything we can imagine. And then finally, John 10, 27. This kind of goes back even to Matthew 7, but John 10, 27. This is in the passage where Jesus is going to be talking about how he is the good shepherd. So John chapter 10, as he talks about being the good shepherd, what we see in verse 27, it's pretty clear. It says this, But my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Jesus says, Sheep that know him... There's going to be two things true of those sheep. The sheep that he knows are going to have two things about them that he'll understand. And one, my sheep hear my voice. Okay, going back to Matthew 7. Hear what Jesus says. It's those people I know. And those people I know will follow me. Again, this goes back to Matthew chapter 7. This is a great way to end. As we think about what it means to be prepared for the coming of Jesus, it's to listen to what he says and to follow him. It's not rocket science. It's not, you don't have to take a list of 10 things that you need to check off before you can be ready. The oil that you need to be ready with is simply these things. It's simply to listen to Jesus and follow him. Listen and obey. That, that's really, at the end of the day, what, if you want to be prepared for the coming of God, a true believer in Jesus, who's not just there for the wrong reasons, who's not an unprepared, unready follower, but is a true follower who is ready for Jesus to come back, it comes down to these simple things. Listen to Jesus and do what he says. Listen to Jesus and follow him. Don't follow this world. Don't follow the ways of this world. Don't follow false gods. Live, in li- live lives of holiness. Live lives of godliness because we're following Jesus and what he says. We love him because we follow him. We love him. He loves us because we, he knows us. We know him because Jesus says, listen to me and follow me. Read his word. Know his word. Do his word. That's how you are prepared for his coming. There's not a secret thing that you can have. It's not a secret hill that you have to go up and wait for him. Okay? This is about the idea that you are always prepared because you are always living a life that is honoring to him because you're listening and you're following what he says. That is how we are prepared for his coming. That is how we're prepared for the end. We do have one final song this morning. Um, actually, I didn't realize how late it was. So we're going to cut that. Um, sorry. Um, so uh, let, just join me in a word of prayer. Just join me in a word of prayer this morning. Lord, thank you for bringing us together today. Lord, do you help us to be prepared for your coming? Would you help us to truly listen to you and follow you? If there's anyone in here today that even hasn't come to the place where they have given their 
their trust over to you, that they haven't given their lives over and, and trusted you for their salvation. They haven't come to a place where they've believed and understood that your death and your resurrection uh, and all that you taught and all that you've done is for our forgiveness of sins if we will simply come to you and trust that you've died for our sins as a substitute, trust that you've been raised again to give us new life, and just put our hopes and our trust and our lives in your hands. If anyone here has not done that and does not, has not responded to the gospel, would you allow them to do that today? God, we also just pray for us as we sit here in the church and we wait for you to come. God, there are times that we can be impatient. There are times we are wondering what's taking so long, but we know that you are doing something, and what you are doing is bringing people to know you. You are turning people back to you, and we praise you for the work that you're doing. We look forward to when you will come back. God, we help us to be patient and not impatient, but help us to be prepared all the time. Help us to know your word. Help us to trust your word. Help us to live your word as we wait for you. Help us to do that this morning. Help us to be wise and not foolish. And I pray all this this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.